Our scripture reading today comes from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, it's Christmas, which means it's Christmas movie season. Hopefully you've Uh, already watched your first Christmas movie for the season. If not, I hope you've got Elf and The Bishop's Wife and Die Hard all lined up and ready to go. Uh, There's actually a new Christmas movie out. Uh, I think it's on Apple Plus. It's got Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds in it, who are two of, at least in my opinion, two of the funniest people I I have watched. The movie is called Spirited. Uh, It's a modern-day riff on A Christmas Carol. So Will Ferrell is the ghost of Christmas present, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is kind of the modern-day Scrooge, and Will Ferrell is trying to help Ryan Reynolds get a second chance at changing his life. Uh, I haven't seen the movie, but one of the songs has stood out to me as I prepared the message this week. It, I think it captures the essence of the movie, and in many ways, I think captures the essence of A Christmas Carol, that, that old story. The song is called Unredeemable. Here are some of the lyrics. Can I ever overcome all the wrongs I'm running from? Can my worst be left behind? And do I deserve to find? There's a soul who could see 
any good in me, or will I only ever be unredeemable? Now, I had a clip I could have showed you from this, but uh, Will Ferrell is not exactly a vocalist, so I decided to just read it for you. It's a silly movie, to be sure, uh, but those words kind of got to me. I don't know about you. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's, this is a question, am I unredeemable? This is a question we spend a lot of our time and our energy and our money uh, hoping to avoid, because most of us, most of the time, We don't really take the time to think about what a mess we really are. The things that we've said, the things that we've done, the patterns that we know control us even though we don't want them to, the people that we've hurt, perhaps their faces come to mind even now, the mistakes that we've made that we bury deep down because we know there is no easy way and certainly no human way to fix them. Am I unredeemable? Am I unrescuable, unsavable? Am I even worth fixing? Or have I gone too far? Have I ran too long? Have I done too little? Have I said too much to go back? Am I unredeemable? Am I rescuable or not? It's an important question. You may be thinking to yourself, Andrew, those questions aren't super Christmassy. (laughs) But I think you'd be wrong. The season of Advent, this, this period of time as we approach Christmas Day is a season of asking these very questions again. Is anyone coming to save us? Or am I unrescuable? This king that we long for, this promised king in the Old Testament, which we've been looking at these past few weeks through the Psalms, is he coming for me or not? As we look back at these these ancient poems and prayers, And the longings of people of faith for thousands and thousands of years, we find ourselves asking these very same questions. Is there anyone who can fix this broken world? Is there someone who can do something about this? Or is it already too late? Are we already beyond God's rescue? Is there a king so powerful and so wonderful that he can rescue even you and me? And David, who wrote Psalm 103, which we just read a few moments ago, he has an answer for us. And remember with me, David, for all the good he did in his life, remember he abused his power as king, and he coerced a married woman to sleep with him, and he then conspired to have her husband killed at the battlefront to cover up an unwanted pregnancy and lied about it. This man who had to have asked himself deep, deep down late at night when he couldn't sleep after all he had done, am I unredeemable? Am I unrescuable? This man has an answer for us to that question. An answer fulfilled this Christmas season. And the answer is this. No one is beyond God's rescue. No one. So if you have your Bible with you, I want us to take a look at this together. Turn to Psalm 103. I'm going to reread these first few verses here. I'm going to try to get us to what I think is the real heart of this poem. So let's go back to verse 1. David begins this way, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Now notice with me, David is talking to himself. He is saying, come on, self. Come on, soul. 
bless the Lord. That's important. We're going to come back to that later. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. See, now we're beginning to understand the reason for the self-talk. David has forgotten something, something very important. In his own struggle, in his own daily living, there's something to forget not here. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. These are amazing promises about who God is and what He's done. Look at this word all here. All your iniquity is forgiven. All your diseases are healed. He rescued you from the pit and He crowns you with uh, love and mercy. These are references to, I think, the story of Joseph, who, if you remember, is redeemed from a pit, and he's crowned in the kingdom of Egypt. And, of course, Joseph is foreshadowing all of God's people, and there God rescues them from Egypt. God satisfies you with only good things, David says, so that your strength is renewed like an eagle catching a thermal, just gliding higher and higher and higher. And he goes on, there's more, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to to our iniquities. Now, again, amazing promises, but the question is why? Why is David so confident in these things? What convinces him that God, despite all he has done, will not keep his anger forever? How does he know that? Why does God not simply give up on David and wash his hands of him and walk away? Why? Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Now, that word for tells us that this is the answer to our question. Why is David so confident? Because as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love. Now, in English, you'll notice we only have one word for love, it's why we sound so ridiculous all the time. When we say things like, I love ice cream, and I love you, and we use the same word to communicate two completely different ideas. Hebrew has several words for love, and one, the one here in verse 11 is hesed. This is a promised love. This is a committed love. It's sometimes called a covenant love that God has for His people. It's a steadfast love, which is what the ESV uses here. That's the translation we just read. A love that does not waver is the idea. It does not change. It's it's a no matter what happens, I love you kind of love. So when David considers, is anyone beyond God's rescue, including me, is anyone beyond God's redemption? He says no, because the committed love of God is too high. It is so high. Now, God does this a lot, you know. You'll see this pattern 
in how God describes certain things about Himself. If you read the Bible long enough, you'll begin to see that when God tries to put His promises and His character, His commitment to us in terms that we can understand, He will often say things like, look up, look at the stars in the heavens. Can you number them? And then I'll say, look down, look at the sand beneath your feet. Can you count them? Can you call them by name? It's the same here. It's as if God, David is, is reminding us, he says, look at the sky above you. Can you reach it? Can you stand on your tippy toes and stretch your hand as far as it can go and come even remotely close to brushing your fingertips against it? That is how high my commitment is to you, says God. It is that high. It cannot be amended. It cannot be changed. It is too high off of the ground. It's an interesting image, isn't it? It towers over you and protects you surrounds you like the sky itself. And David, as I said, is reminding himself of this. And he's challenging himself to put his trust in it. That as much as David may break his oath to God, which he has done, and then some in his life, when David comes back to God and he turns away from his sins and his mistakes and he sees them for what they are, and he relies on God to keep his promise to forgive, to keep his oath to never leave or forsake. David finds in that moment that God's love dwarfs his mistakes like the shadow of a cloud rolling over a patch of grass. It's not worth comparing the two. The love of God is so high. And it's tempting for us sometimes, I think, and for David, no doubt, to believe that God's love is low. And by that, I mean that it's down here with us, and it operates like our love does. That it's fickle, and it's temperamental, and it's unreliable. That it's just like the loves we experience throughout our lives, even at their best, which can be pushed away or taken away. David reminds us that none of this is true about God's love. It's too high. He will love us. Even if we don't want Him to, He will love us. Even if we don't want His rescue, we are never beyond His power to redeem. And not only that, there's another answer, no, there's another reason no one is beyond God's rescue. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You see, David reminds us here, not only is God's commitment to us too high to ever disqualify someone from turning to God and finding God's love waiting for them there, he points out now that God's forgiveness is too wide for him to ever hold our mistakes over our heads. It's too wide. And I want us to really think about this image, that his forgiveness is too wide for that. As far as the east is from the west, what does that mean? Imagine with me if we were all to go out into our parking lot right now, and we launched a bottle rocket straight toward Missouri, and then another one straight toward Colorado. 
And imagine with me now that there are no mountains, there are no trees, there are no obstacles in their way at all. And imagine there's no gravity to pull them down or around the curve of the earth. We know that eventually they would head straight off into space. And once they got there, they would go on and on and on forever. Isaac Newton taught us that. They would never, ever, ever meet again. And truly, every time you went to check on them, you know, you put a tracking device on them and you went to see where they are, you would discover that they were farther apart than when you looked last. In fact, the moment that you think they couldn't get farther apart, they're already farther apart. That is how God forgives when you ask Him to, when you need Him to. This is not to say that our sins are not a serious thing. They are. It is not to say that our mistakes, our iniquities, our our failures are a small thing. It is not to say that when we fall short, when we hurt people, when we disobey God and we hate our neighbor, that it doesn't matter. It, it, It profoundly matters. And there are real consequences in this life even when we repent of our sins and our mistakes. David felt those consequences acutely. David's point when writing this psalm is not that sin is so small that forgiveness is an easy thing. It's that God's forgiveness is so wide that we cannot outsin it. That our worst moments, that our worst addictions and decisions and words, and that our absolute worst, God can remove them as far as the east is from the west when we come to Him in faith and ask for His pardon. And this forgiveness is fueled by a parental compassion. Look at verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is David's imagery here. He calls God a father, but he actually uses a word here for a motherly love. That word compassion is rakamim in Hebrew, and it actually comes from the word for a mother's womb. It's a related word. So if you've ever seen a young mother rush to the aid of a toddler who's about to fall down a stair or hit their head on a coffee table, you've gotten just a glimpse of Rakamim. It is only later when a child has grown into an adult and has made a mess of their lives, when that child returns home to mom and dad and they welcome him and they hold him in their arms that you begin to see the depths of that love what it will do, that compassion that only a father, that only a mother has for her child. That's where God's forgiveness comes from. It is as wide and encompassing and powerful as the feeling a mother gets when her runaway comes home when she never thought she'd see him again. That power, as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins from us when we repent in faith. That is David's reminder here. In fact, David is reminding himself that as bad as he has been, God does not deal with him at his worst, but loves him and forgives him instead. What strikes me here about David's reminder is that he's telling us that we cannot be beyond God's rescue, 
because we aren't powerful enough. We aren't able to because God's forgiveness is too, is too wide. His love is too high. There's nowhere it cannot find us. There's nowhere it cannot go. There's no one it cannot touch. Because God knows our frame. He gets our weakness. He knows us so intimately. His understanding of us is so deep. That's David's point in verse 14. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows who we are. Which is not only to say that he knows we are mortal. That's true. He knows that physically we are frail and vulnerable. But he also knows we are frail and vulnerable spiritually. It's both. He knows how bad we are at obeying and trusting and listening and loving. He knows because of our broken nature that we bend away from Him and away from each other and that there's nothing we can do about it. We are in a hopeless predicament. And like a father watching his child ruin her life again and again and again, God's compassion and love motivate him to do something about it. Even God's anger is motivated by this love. That's what David points out. When David says earlier that God will not be angry forever, that he won't chide us forever for our wrongdoing, that's in verse 9, it's because David remembers that our divine Father loves us so much, understands us so deeply, that his love makes him angry. You ever, you ever felt that way? He can't stand to watch us run when all He wants to do is satisfy us with good things, to heal us, to protect us, to save us. He knows our frame. He knows our hopeless situation. So what does He do? You know, David didn't write explicitly about this here. I'm not sure if he saw God's ultimate answer to this question. But David certainly spoke better than he knew. Because this rescuing God, whose love, David says, is so high, and whose forgiveness is so wide, and whose understanding is so deep, chose from ages past and became that Christmas morning 2,000 years ago so, so small. A child crying in a Bethlehem manger. Our God because of His love for us, not only knows our frame, He took on our frame. He not only knows that we are dust, He he became dust. He doesn't just understand our weakness. He, He became the weakest of us all in the form of a servant. He doesn't just understand that we're tempted. He Himself was tempted in every way, the author of Hebrews tells us, yet was without sin. He doesn't just sympathize with our mortality. He put it on, and He died in our place. He did not just say how high His love could go. He was lifted up for you on Calvary's hill. He did not just preach to us how wide His forgiveness was. He stretched out His hands 
nailed to a cross for you. He doesn't just understand us in some abstract way. He became one of us, and he died for us, and he offers new life to us, even now. What David only hints at here, God shouts to us at Christmas. Jesus is how high and how wide and how deep the love of God can actually go. Is anyone beyond that? Is anyone beyond that compassion, that commitment? Is anyone beyond that forgiveness? Is anyone beyond his understanding? None of us can look now at the baby born in a manger and ever doubt the answer to this question. Is anyone beyond the rescue of God? Absolutely not. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you are hearing this stuff about who God is for the very first time or if you've memorized this psalm years and years ago, but what what none of us can do, because David is adamant that we don't, is in a few moments from now, walk through these doors and back out to our cars and forget. David forgot. This whole poem is not about something David didn't know. It's about something David knew and forgot and needs to remember again. So remember God's rescue this Christmas season. Remember it. Take time this week when you get out of bed in the morning and when you lay down at night, even silently to yourself, to remember as high as the heavens are above the earth. And as far as the east is from the west, that is the power of God's rescue for me. If only I let him. When we see the manger scenes in our homes, and our neighborhoods, and our Christmas cards, let us see God's rescue wrapped in swaddling cloths. The God who knows us at our worst, at our worst, and loves us anyway. This is what Advent is for. It is to remember that something happened that night, 2,000 years ago, something that changes everything something that proves to us what God really thinks, how God really feels about us. And no matter how far you feel today, you are never so far that you cannot be found. His love is too high, and His forgiveness is too wide. We may forget that, but God never forgets you. Let's pray to Him now. Father, for a love that is too high and a forgiveness that is too wide and an understanding that is too deep for us to ignore, we give you thanks. And I pray that each one here, this Christmas season, that the depth of that love would be made real to us. That as we look at the incarnation of your son, Jesus, as a cosmic divine rescue plan, that we see your love for what it is. Father, may we not forget. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.